This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the Kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another post-game live here on Dime Dropper for the 2023-24 season. Before we get started, you already know the drill. Make sure you follow us on social media at Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod, and subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper. Hit the notification bell so you know every single time we post a video and go live. And tonight we have another night of both LA teams in action, and it's a night where both LA teams took an L. Lakers losing to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Clippers losing to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Tonight, I'm going to start things off a little differently. Oh my God, why does this always happen? Hold on a second. All right, so let's get to it. Lakers, Timberwolves, Clippers, Thunder. Something bad happened to me with the, the Clipper game, so I'm going to explain that in a second. But let's talk about the Lakers and the Timberwolves. I actually watched this game really thoroughly. And by the way, if you're watching on Twitter, there's a link underneath the tweet that you're watching. Please click on that link. I need everybody to YouTube. Super Chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar a dime, any donation helps. But let's talk about it. I'll talk about the Clippers after. The Lakers against the Minnesota Timberwolves. So this was my first time seeing the Timberwolves this year in a full game. I've been talking about how I haven't really watched them, and they're the number one seed in the West right now. So I was very interested in seeing uh, seeing them play because they haven't played any L.A. teams yet. So we got the Timberwolves playing against the Lakers. LeBron James load managing. They said he was out with an ankle injury. It's load management. He played last night. He was fine. So can the Lakers afford to load manage when they've already lost three games in a row? especially against a team like Minnesota. We got D'Lo, Cam, Torian Prince, Anthony Davis, and Rui Hachimura starting for the Lakers. For the Timberwolves, it was the exact same normal starting lineup. Rui Hachimura started on Carl Anthony Towns. AD started on Gobert. And Gobert was in every single minute that AD was in. So they were matched up with each other. D'Lo was on Mike Conley and Jaden McDaniels. I'm sorry, D'Lo was mainly on Jaden McDaniels. He guarded Conley for a second, then they switched it with Torian Prince guarding Conley so they could guard him at the point of attack with length. And then Reddish and Vando were taking turns guarding Ant-Man. When Reddish was in, he'd guard Ant-Man. When he was out, Vando would guard Ant-Man. And I thought the reason why this game was close, I have to say the Lakers, they put up a much better fight in this game than against Chicago last night. Just more effort, more intensity. They didn't go down without a fight. Made the Timberwolves play well or play hard till the very last minute. I got to I got to say Anthony Davis is mainly why this game was close. He started out with some big time mid-ranges and his jumper was finally falling. I've talked about it so much this season that Anthony Davis's jump shot has not really been there. Mike Trudell had a stat that he only made 4 jump shots in the entire month of November, but in this game he hit 5 alone. I think 6 actually. He hit a 3 too in the fourth quarter. So AD hitting the jumper really made Rudy Gobert not seem like the defensive player of the year that he is guarding him. He was hitting the jumper. He was getting to the basket. He had 10 points in the first quarter on three mid-ranges. Also, D'Angelo Russell, much better effort in this game. 
thought he was more aggressive. I like that he was going into frequent pick and rolls with Anthony Davis, getting into the basket. So, or getting to the paint, I should say. There was one time where in the first quarter, he even missed a shot, and AD was right there because D'Lo drew two defenders. AD was able to grab the rebound, put it back up and in. And defensively, he had a block in the first quarter and a strip. So I actually liked what I was seeing from D'Lo much more than last night against Chicago. Rui Hachimura, I thought he started out doing a pretty decent job on Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, but Carl Anthony Towns was the leading scorer for the Minnesota Timberwolves in the first half. Ant-Man, man. We already know he's the franchise player. He's the man. He's taking a step up every single season. He is so hard to stay in front of. And the one thing I noticed about the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I've kind of hinted at it at times throughout the season, even though I haven't really talked about them, is that Rudy Gobert is finally surrounded by really elite point-of-attack defenders. He is finally surrounded by guys that he doesn't have to really bail them out. Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, Mike Conley, even Nikhil Alexander-Walker. These guys all do a good job at the point of attack, especially Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jaden McDaniels. There were times where they were really, really staying attached to whoever it was, whether it was D'Lo or Austin Reeves fighting over those screens, and Gobert and them, whoever they were at the point of attack, they only, got, they only were forced to guard the pick and rolls 2v2 without having an extra help defender and making the Wolves defense get into rotation. So that's a huge luxury, huge. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He impressed me with his defense uh, right off the bat. He's got a lot of size and length. We saw an athleticism. We saw the way he defended SGA in the playing game last year. If you go back to my playing uh, post games, you can see when I talked about that, he was causing problems. Christian Wood, he got a little bit of burn in the first half in this game, but he only played four minutes. So, Laker fans, let me know in the comments do you want Christian Wood playing four minutes? The offense was absolutely better in this game, but that's very, very few. You know what I'm saying? Very few. Anyway, <laughs> um, let's keep going, going. End of the first quarter, the Lakers were down 36-32. to The Wolves went on a 12-0 run when they were down 19-24 to to make it 31-24. to the Lakers, one of the big reasons they kind of surrendered that lead was a lot of turnovers in the first quarter. Four of them in quick succession, just straight up losing the ball, just getting stripped. And so that was bad. Austin Reeves in this game had four turnovers. D'Angelo Russell also had four turnovers. And Torian Prince had three turnovers. So, yeah, not a very good job taking care of the ball. But anyway, Torian Prince had a buzzer-beating three. That was huge to make it 32-36 to going into the second quarter. Of course, defensively, AD and drop coverage, you already know how it's going to go, are in that high drop at times. He was making sure that he could come up and take away shots from Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley. But Anton Conley, they made good reads. They absolutely made good reads, finding guys in the corners, finding guys in the roll. So it is tough to guard Minnesota. I don't know what their offensive rating is. If one, of the mod, if one of the mods can check that out for me right now, give me the offensive rating for the Timberwolves, that would be much appreciated where they rank in the league. Second quarter. So, by the way, the Lakers in this game only playing a nine-man rotation, but really an eight-man rotation because Christian Wood only got four minutes, and he didn't even get a shot off. He had zero points, and he was a minus 12. Uh, the minus 12, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that because of that, Christian Wood played like ass because I don't think he really did. 
I just thought he was extremely quiet, and that four minutes flew by, and I don't even remember anything that Christian Wood did. But second quarter, Nas Reed. I noticed, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to the Minnesota Timberwolves fans because whenever that team is good, they show up in groves, and they show up loud every single night. That's that's something. So I got to give it to them because Minnesota, throughout their history, they never get any attention. They never get any love. Thank you, Bunit Shima. Timberwolves are 17th in offensive rating, so very average, actually. Their defense, they make their mark on. But they're not very easy to guard by any means, and you have Anthony Edwards, who's so tough to stay in front of. And also, Gabe Vincent also load-managed in this game or was load-managed, so it wasn't just LeBron James. But Nas Reed, I noticed the cheers that he gets when he comes into the game. That tells me how much he's you know ingratiated himself within the Timberwolves and their fans and all that. Because they give him a loud cheer. And he comes in and gives you a lot of energy, a lot of fight. You know, he's diving for loose balls, contesting shots at the rim uh, against, you know, guys coming downhill with momentum, knocking down open threes. So solid impact by Nas Reed. Even though he didn't shoot very well overall in the game, he had three threes in the game, finished with nine points, five rebounds, two assists, a steal, and a block. He did have three turnovers, though. Both teams turned the ball over a decent amount. Lakers 18 times, Minnesota 14 times. But 18 turnovers, you know, despite how well the Lakers played in the fight that they showed, they need to take better care of the ball if they want to win games like that on the road, especially without LeBron James. You've got to take better care of the ball. That's mainly Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell I'm speaking to. Jackson Hayes. You know, I thought he came in and actually gave them some pretty good energy, some verticality at the rim defensively, rebounding. But that's all he's going to give you, some verticality at the rim, some rebounding, and some fouls. That's, that's what Jackson Hayes does. And he got an N1 as well on a pick and roll with Austin Reeves. He had three points, three rebounds, one assist on one shot attempt and made it in just 11 minutes. So, look, like the Lakers, they got six guys playing 27-plus minutes. The other three guys, they're getting very limited minutes, 14 and under. Speaking of one of those guys, Jared Vanderbilt. Jared Vanderbilt, he still is not getting the minutes that Laker fans that want him to play more want him to get. He's just fresh off that injury. He's only got 14 minutes in this game. He was 0 for 3 with a donut, but he had 5 rebounds. So his rebounding per 36 is probably really good. But in my opinion, as I've said the last two episodes... The Lakers need Rui, uh, not Rui Hachimura, Jared Vanderbilt to be a bigger part of this team because they really struggle defending at the point of attack right now. They're very mediocre in that respect. They had Cam Reddish guarding Ant-Man, you know, a little bit of Torian Prince, but those guys are not elite. Jared Vanderbilt is probably the best defender they have. Maybe not as good in the point of attack as Dennis Schroeder was last year, but they need him out there for defensive purposes. I think he shrinks the floor, and just throwing him out there with LeBron and AD, that was having a lot of success last season towards the end So towards the end of the regular season. So you got to find a way, despite his offensive struggles, to get him into that offense more, to get him in the game more. Speaking of nasty offense, Rudy Escargobert. For how great of a defender he is, active hands, knows how to use his body, rim protection, anytime that guy tries to do anything offensively, I like I want to start watching hockey at that point. Like his footwork is terrible, his hands are terrible. He had some nice finishes, I will say, and following up his misses, but he's all size. Like he has no offensive skill to me. 
None. But his impact was good. Speaking of good impact, Rui Hachimura. They needed a bounce back game from him, and I really liked what I saw from him in this game. He was being physical defensively. He was being aggressive. He was looking for his shot. And besides his free throws, which needed to be better, just two for six from the line for Rui, he had 18 points, four rebounds on seven for 12 shooting, two for five from three in his 34 minutes, replacing LeBron James in that starting lineup. Obviously, you want him to shoot better from the line. He was hedging and recovering on those Carl Anthony Towns pick and pops, and that's very hard to guard. But really solid performance by Rui. I think there's a lot of good things to take from this uh, game for the Lakers, just in the sense that they weren't really playing good basketball the last couple of games. And now you get some of their role players having good games in this one. Even though it's a loss, it's against the team that's rolling, the number one team in the Western Conference, and maybe that could bode well and give them some confidence going into that next game against OKC because OKC and Boston, those are going to be really tough games. If the Lakers drop both of those two, we're looking at a six-game losing streak. And with the West as tight as it is, yeah, you're never going to be fully out of things the way things are going this early, but you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're playing uh, catch-up Because again, no matter how great LeBron James is in the playoffs, no matter how much experience that the Lakers have, and no matter the fact that they were the seventh seed last year and made it to the conference finals, I still stand by my rule. Only two teams in NBA history have won the championship lower than a three seed. And they were both defending champions with the two, maybe you can say number one and number two greatest defenders ever in Bill Russell and Akeem Olajuwon. Now, Anthony Davis, you can make an argument he's the best uh, defender in the league right now. But, I don't know. I don't see the Lakers winning the championship without a three seed. I don't see any team winning the championship without a three seed. Top three. But overall, I liked the way some of the Laker role players played. I think it'll give them some confidence maybe going into the next game. Rui Hachimura being one of those guys. Had a beautiful mid-range over Jaden McDaniels in that second quarter on a turnaround. And, you know, the Lakers were down by nine in that second quarter. But they were only, I believe, down by four going into halftime. They broke even in the second quarter at 27. And Torian Prince had another late three before the halftime buzzer. So two straight kind of buzzer beaters for Torian Prince. He had four threes in the game. Shot really well, and I thought played pretty solid defense as well. Of course, he's not going to be able to stay in front of Anthony Edwards. The Lakers, how many guys in the NBA can stay in front of Anthony Edwards? Like, it's very tough, and he's so good turning that corner. Whether he's coming off a screen on the ball or coming off a screen off the ball, he explodes when he turns that corner, and it's very hard to guard. Torian Prince, though, I thought he played very well. 14 points, 5 rebounds, and an assist. He did turn the ball over three times, which for how much he has the ball is too much. But he was five for six from the field and four for four from three in 37 minutes. So that is a plus for the Lakers because he's really been struggling lately. But Anthony Davis, 18 points at halftime. Austin Reeves, 12 points at halftime. So the Lakers were right in there at the half. The only thing was the Minnesota Timberwolves were making more threes. Mike Conley being one of them. I'm very impressed. I hate Mike Conley because he's a played for my two least favorite teams, and we had our wars with Conley back in the day, the teddy bears and the trash. Uh, and it made me so – And one of the most satisfying things about beating the trash and breaking the curse was that we beat Mike Conley. That was very satisfying for me. I heard he's a model citizen. I don't give a damn. Fuck him. 
I don't like Mike Conley. Uh, anybody those Grizzlies, I don't those teddy bears, Zebo, Mike Conley, Mark, Tony Allen, I don't like them. But anyway, let's go to the third quarter. Another quarter in which they broke even, 24 apiece. Lakers had the game tied at 70 with a Torian Prince 3. Torian Prince was basically guarding Mike Conley every single time down. And I thought Anthony Davis was making his presence felt defensively majorly. Everywhere in help. He was coming up beautifully on the screens and contesting shots. His rim protection was good. And the Lakers' hedge and recoveries on Towns weren't bad. I thought Towns was pretty aggressive. And I liked how in the second quarter... He was catching the ball in the mid post and on the block sometimes and forcing the Lakers to double him. So that's when I think Carl Anthony Towns is at his best. He needs to be aggressive. He needs to be posting little dudes up, drawing double teams because he's actually a pretty good passer. I don't like when he's sitting at the three-point line just chucking. And I think that Gobert and him being staggered, that obviously helps him, but you know, no excuses. I think Carl Anthony Towns can still post up with Gobert on the opposite dunker spot waiting for a lob. I think he can do that. It's not, you know, the, the spacing excuses for modern fans are ridiculous sometimes. But Cam Reddish, another player where I thought he had a solid game. He was 3-for-8 from the field, but all three of his shots were nice finishes around the basket. Two of them were lefty finishes attacking closeouts, and I like that aggression from Cam. Eight points, one rebound, two assists, and a steal for him. On 3-for-8 shooting, 0-for-2 from 3. Again, is he going to do a good job guarding Anthony Edwards? Probably not. Anthony Edwards is one of the toughest covers in the NBA today. The Lakers don't really have a lockdown defender like that. I think Vanderbilt is their best chance, but he's got to earn more minutes with his offense and just, I guess, gaining Coach Ham's trust again coming off the injury. I don't know what to say. But the Lakers, you know, they actually went to a 2-3 zone in that third quarter and a lot of that fourth quarter. And I thought it wasn't bad, but for anybody that, you know, plays basketball or knows basketball strategy, and I see some of my players in here right now, my sixth graders in here right now. (laughs) One thing, fellas, rebounding is one of the hardest things to do out of a zone. You have to rebound out of a zone, find a body. It's not as easy as man-to-man, you know, because you're just guarding an area. You're not picking up a body. So at times, Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert, these guys were getting offensive rebounds, and it was hurting the Lakers. But I thought the 2-3 zone, they were okay in it. They got a couple of steals. One of them, Rui Hachimura, got an interception. One of them, Austin Reeves, got an interception. And after an Anthony Davis and one turnaround, he tied the game at 79. And then Rui Hachimura hit a three to give the Lakers the lead. You know, my dad and I, my dad, obviously, he always roots for the L.A. teams. We're getting a little excited. Maybe the Lakers could pull this one out. And then Rui Hachimura had a really hard fall, really hard fall. He's going to feel that one tomorrow, right on his tailbone. They called it a flagrant one. I thought it was really funny how Stu Lance was so anti that flagrant foul, even though he's the Lakers color commentator. But Stu, I love how objective he is, but he's been even a little too objective these days. Like He's like grilling the Lakers. You know, I have a theory that Stu really doesn't like the way basketball is played anymore. I mean, listen, he's from the 70s. He played in the 70s and late 60s. He has watched every single era of basketball. He's literally watched more Laker basketball than maybe anybody ever. I'm pretty sure he was, he probably saw more Kobe Bryant than anyone, any human being. Because he did every, he worked for the Lakers every single year of his career. But I have a hunch that Stu doesn't love the way basketball is played. But I think a lot of people don't. And that's not, that's not a crazy thing. I'm not a huge fan of the modern style either. But let's talk about the fourth quarter. 
Let's talk about the fourth quarter. Um, AD and Ant, by the way, played the whole third quarter along with Gobert. As I said, Gobert matching up AD's minutes. Now, Minnesota threw the first punch in that, four, uh, in that fourth. I have to say, my second favorite college player of all time. It's funny because my first favorite college player of all time is also on the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that is Jordan McLaughlin. Kyle Anderson is my second, and Kyle's so good. I mean, he just comes in. He plays defense. He rebounds. He passes. He's so high IQ. He's a real leader out there. He communicates so much on the court on both ends. One thing that's really hard about guarding him in the pick and roll, teams want to let Kyle shoot, right? So they keep going under the screen, keep going under the screen. But Kyle gets you backing up all the way to the foul line. And then when Gobert sets a screen from the foul line, you have the pick and roll happening so deep that if you throw two guys at Kyle Anderson to protect the, the rim run, Rudy Gobert needs to be accounted for on that roll. And the rotation, the closest rotation is coming from the deep corner guarding a three-point shooter. So that's a really, really hard pick and roll to, to play. And if you switch it, Gobert is likely a lot bigger than who you're switching on to him. And all Kyle Anderson needs to do is just lob it up. And his passing is fantastic, as we know from his UCLA days. So it's a tough pick and roll to guard, and he got some really good stuff on that. Uh... Lakers were down by five, and I thought one of the big stretches of the game that hurt them was they had two consecutive turnovers. One, it was 95-100, to 100 and they were coming down the court, and D'Angelo Russell, I think, no, it was Cam Reddish, got the ball stolen from him by Mike Conley. And then another one where Jackson Hayes just straight up didn't catch the ball when D'Lo kicked it out to him. So those were really tough. D'Angelo Russell, as I said, I thought he was doing the right things, but he was 2-for-12 at one point. He just wasn't making shots. I thought he was taking the right shots, but he wasn't making shots. And then he woke up. 13 points in the fourth quarter for D'Lo. He was hitting threes. He was getting in the lane. He got an and one. He was trying to get the Lakers back in the game. But the Ant-Man in the pick and roll, that pass he had to Nikhil Alexander-Walker, it was the right defense by the Lakers. It was the right read by Ant-Man. He made it 110-99. I feel like the game was over right there. But D'Lo made a couple of threes, had a chance to make a third consecutive one that would have cut it to, I believe, five, and he didn't make it. And Ant was just too tough to stay in front of. He's so relentless. And, by the way, Carl Anthony Towns did not close the game. Kyle Anderson did. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But, yeah. Lakers fall a little bit short. 118-111. to the Minnesota Timberwolves move on to 20, um, 21-6 and six on the season, 12-1 and one at home. They outscored the Lakers 31-28 in the fourth quarter. The Lakers are now only one game above 500, 15-14, and they're 5-11 and 11 on the road. Laker fans, tell me how you're feeling because it's no good right now. Let's read the lines for the game, the team stats. First off, the Lakers shot 49%, the Wolves shot 48%, so pretty close there. The Wolves shot 39% from three. Really good. Lakers shot 43.5% from three. But the Wolves shot 36 of them. Lakers shot 23 of them. It ended up being the Wolves making four more threes. And they also shot one more free throw. Lakers were 19 for 24 with four of those five misses coming from Rui Hachimura himself. And Minnesota 20 for 25 from the line. So 80%. The turnovers kind of made that little bit of the difference for the Lakers, but 
if I'm a Laker fan, I can't really be mad at the performance. I'm not going to lie. I thought they fought hard. AD had a good game. His jumper fell. The role players played well. Just didn't have LeBron. And the Wolves, you know, I talk about this all the time. Winning habits have to be built. And it's a situation like this, right? Someone like me. I predicted the Minnesota Timberwolves to finish like ninth or 8th, if I'm not mistaken. I may have even had them 10th. I may have even had them 10th. But... Which obviously was a horrible pick. I'll, I'll fully admit my L on that. But you're thinking to yourself, man, why is Minnesota so good? Like, obviously, they have good defensive personnel. They have Anthony Edwards. Then you watch them play, and you see how a team has built winning tendencies. The same way you saw with the Warriors in 2022. Winning, when you get consistent at it, and it starts becoming a habit, you play hard every game. Your team is connected on both ends of the floor. You can see that guys are playing with confidence. And I saw that. The Timberwolves are very connected defensively. Towns is playing confidently. The fans are acting cocky. I saw them waving a D'Lo goodbye. They know what they have in front of them right now, and that's a very very solid team. The way Jaden McDaniels was guarding in the point of attack, that, I have not seen many guys guard that well at the point of attack this season. He's the real deal. Kyle Anderson to kill Alexander Walker, Conley. They have a high IQ team. I will say, though, the Ant-Man... He dribbles a little too much right now still. He's a little too much of a ball stopper, but I love the Ant-Man. And then Escar Gobert, I don't like him, but he's a great rim protector. The Timberwolves are building winning habits. 12-1 and at home? Man, sheesh. Let's read the lines first for the, for the Wolves. Troy Brown Jr., former Laker, only six minutes, shot two, uh, one shot. He had two points. Nas Reed, nine points, five rebounds. Two assists, one steal, one block, three turnovers on three for nine shooting and three for six from three. I thought he still made a pretty solid impact. 25 points for the Wolves bench. Nikhil Alexander-Walker. His stat line will not reflect how well he played, but his defense, his defense, especially on Austin Reeves, was really good. Five points, three rebounds. I'm sorry, five points, one rebound, three assists, three steals. On two for six shooting and one for five from three. So he didn't shoot well, but his one three was very timely. Kyle Anderson, nine points, five rebounds, four assists, one steal, and one block. Just one turnover. Four for seven from the field. Oh for two from three. So three ball. That's never been Kyle's strong suit, but a very solid performance by slow-mo. And then every Wolves starter getting 30-plus minutes. They've got one of the better starting lineups in the NBA, I must say. Mike Conley. He played 30 minutes, and he was awesome. 16 points, 8 assists, 2 steals, and a block. Just one turnover on 66% shooting, 6 for 9, and 66% from 3, 4 for 6. No free throw attempts, but he was really efficient. Then there's Jaden McDaniels, who played 36 minutes, and I thought he was spectacular. And the step back he hit, or the snatch back, in this, I believe it was the third quarter, was filthy, and he was making his threes. Jaden McDaniels, 14 points, one rebound, three assists, and a steal on five for eight shooting and two for four from three, two for two from the line, very efficient in his 36 minutes. Carl Anthony Towns, thought he had a solid game, 21 points, six rebounds, four assists, and a steal, seven for 17 from the field, two for six from three, five for six from the foul line in 33 minutes. Rudy Gobert, 15 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 3 blocks, 2 turnovers on 6 for 11 shooting, 
three for six from the foul line. So he kept it pretty efficient, but the double-double is what was big. Five offensive rebounds, and they absolutely made a difference. And then a steal in three blocks, really solid impact for Rudy Escargot-Bear in this one. And then Mike, I'm sorry, the Ant-Man, my player of the game. 27 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and a block. He did turn the ball over 5 times, though, so he needs to keep that down. But did all that, 9 for 19 from the field, 2 for 6 from 3, and constantly putting pressure on the defense, making you play defense on him without fouling. He was 7 for 8 from the foul line. Let's talk about the Lakers' stat lines. I talked about Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood and Jared Vanderbilt. Let's go with... Austin Reeves, he had a very solid game. Again, I think Austin's actually been playing pretty well lately, but he needs to take better care of the ball. Austin, he has that move where when he gets over the screen, he waits and lets somebody bump into his back like Trey Young and takes that contact and throws it up and gets the foul. He had 20 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals with with the 4 turnovers on 50% shooting, 7 for 14, but 1 for 4 from 3. Five for five from the line, though. So a pretty solid game for Austin. And then I talked about Cam Reddish, Torian Prince, and Rui Hachimura. D'Angelo Russell, he finished with 17 points, four rebounds, eight assists. So eight assists. Two steals and three blocks for D'Lo. He had a weird quote after the game, though, saying, defense is not what I do. I get what he means. That's not what he's known for. He's known to be a great offensive player, a very good offensive player. But that's just not something you say, in my opinion. Defense is not what I do. But two steals and three blocks. At least he was doing that tonight. Four turnovers, though. Needs to keep that down. Seven for 19 from the field. Two for six from three. Laker fans would still probably like him to shoot a little bit better. And then AD. Thought he was spectacular. 31 points, eight rebounds, four assists, and three blocks. Just one turnover. He was very aggressive. He was making his jumper. He made his only three. He was eight for nine from the foul line. And he shot 11 for 20 from the field in 39 minutes. He was good. But that's it for the Laker game. Now let's talk about the Clippers. So shout out to one of my mods. 13.3 rebounds per 36 minutes for Jared Vanderbilt. So he makes his minutes or makes use of his minutes on the glass. Can he get more consistent minutes from Darvin Ham? I would try him more. All right, Clipper Nation, you've waited patiently. It's time to talk about the Clippers. Now, guys, I have to apologize big time to the people right now. I fell asleep... At 4 o'clock local time, I want to take a nap before the game. I set an alarm for 5 o'clock, and my body was exhausted. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to set it for 6. I have a series recording for Clippers basketball and Bally Sports. I'm just going to watch it a little behind, and I'll watch everything. I wake up, and the one thing I was fearing, this better not be on KTLA. This better not be on KTLA. Turn on the channel, KTLA. I look and see if there's a replay. No replay. League Pass does this thing where you can't watch local broadcasts until three days after the completion of the game. So, I have no way of seeing the first half. I did not get to see the first half. And that's the main reason why I started with the Lakers in this episode. I'm sorry, Clipper fans. I have to be better. I have to be better. That's unacceptable. It's not okay. It's not being responsible. I should have checked. should have recorded. How are people still commenting from Twitter? I deleted the link. Get on YouTube, please. But anyway, let's talk about it. Here are the notes that I got. 
OKC started very hot. We weren't playing much defense. We started cold. I heard that Russ gave us some energy to close the quarter. I heard that Terrence was extremely indecisive. PG had a good first half, shooting the ball four for eight. Harden had 11, six, and five at the half, but he was four for 13. Let's talk about that for a sec. Just, just immediate uh, takeaways. It's great to have Paul George back, right? He was sick. He comes back. Kawhi Leonard, after having that hard fall last game, he missed today's game. Now, it was probably a little injury management, if you know what I mean. Meaning, like, it's not load management. They're, I think they're only resting him because he fell down hard. They listed it as a hip contusion. I hope it's not serious enough to miss the Boston game because Kawhi, his 27-game streak was broken. 27 in a row, though. If you had told me, and I'm still knocking on wood, I still want you to knock as well. If you had told me that Kawhi was going to play 27 out of the first 28 games and Paul George was going to play 26 out of the first 28 games, I would be more than satisfied with that. I think our record would have been good even if we didn't have Harden uh, with, with that kind of health. But no Kawhi, so I didn't really expect a win tonight, but I just wanted to see them compete. I turned on the game and we're only down by five at halftime, but I heard that we made a late close, late push at the end, but we weren't hitting, and I heard Norman Powell and Russ were the catalysts. By the way, OKC fans giving three of their former players really good ovations. James Harden, who got probably the least of the three, but still got some applause for his three years in OKC. Paul George only played two years in OKC. And then Westbrook got his standing ovation. He is the greatest Thunder player of all time. That is not up for debate for me. Uh, Kevin Durant is the best player that's ever played for the Thunder, but the greatest ever is Westbrook because he never wanted to leave. And he stayed there and won an MVP after KD went against him. He was the guy. He is Mr. Oklahoma City. And to be honest, as much as I'm thankful to have Russell Westbrook on my team, I thought he was going to stay in Oklahoma City forever. Like I legitimately thought he was going to stay in Oklahoma City forever. I thought Paul Pierce was going to stay in Boston forever. I thought Dame was going to stay in Portland forever. It's amazing seeing some. I thought Dwayne Wade was going to stay in Miami forever. I thought Tony Parker was going to stay in San Antonio forever. I thought Kawhi Leonard was going to stay in San Antonio forever because nobody ever left. So it's, it's pretty wild, but I'm looking at the stats, right? James Harden has 13 shots and Paul George has eight. That's a problem for me. Paul George has to be the second option when, and has to be the first option when Kawhi's out. Cause I already know Harden's going to have the ball in his hands the most, but having the most shots too, not for me, not for me. And then I turn the game on in the second half. And Harden does make those two threes that kind of get, kept us, you know, tied the game and may have given us the lead for a sec. But man, I, I can't, I can't, like, I can't sugarcoat how I feel. I hate watching him isolate. He dribbles so fucking much. I don't know how he gets those calls. How does he get these calls? That one on Kason Wallace, he, he totally initiated the contact. I don't know how he got it. Norman Powell, too. I don't get how they get these calls. James Harden, like, he gets love tapped on the arm from three and he gets a call and LeBron will get accosted at the rim these days and not get anything. I, I, some players just have an insane whistle. Austin Reeves is one of them. James Harden. I just can't stand watching his ISO package, even when he gets good shots. And he honestly was getting better shots in, in double drag and pick and roll for other guys than, than Paul George was getting tonight. He was, it was our best source of offense, but I'm gonna just say this. If James Harden high pick and roll, is and James Harden double drag over and over is your best source of offense in 2024, you're not beating good teams. You may win one game, 
what when he's hot from three and he's hitting his step back, you're not beating good teams like that consistently. I'm not here for James Harden to be a, a number one option, bro. I hated it. I wanted to chuck my remote at the TV. I wanted to slander him every second. <laughs> but I'm not here for that, bro. I'm here for James Harden to be take a back seat for Paul George. Now, let me tell you this about Paul George. He was bullshitting too. In the second half, Harden gave him the ball after a couple of pick and rolls, and PG was just chucking long shots. And his defense was poor too for my taste. He, uh, his contests were lazy. His, he got blown by once or twice. And then Harden got beat back door in a Lou Dort cut. It was just not great overall from those guys. Paul George wasn't good enough. I wanted to see Paul George ask for the ball at the elbow or the mid post, you know, elbow P. I always talk about how good elbow P is, and we started to see a lot more of that in the first 15 games of the season. He was just, you know, at the top of the key. And I will say, when Harden came out, we started, because the offense went very stagnant uh, towards the end before Harden came out. It was a lot of James Harden pick and roll and double drag, a lot of dribbling. I was seeing people on Twitter saying that the offense got stagnant. It did. Um, but Paul George, he wasn't necessarily doing much either. And I have to say, you know, they had Lou Dort guarding uh, Harden. Uh, at times, Paul George, Jalen Williams guarding Paul, Paul George. And Jalen Williams, he had a little scare there when he had a twisted ankle. I hope he's okay. He came back in the game. He has been phenomenal this year. I've talked about him, I think, several times. But he's been so good. He's got a mid-range. He's got a three. He can get downhill. He plays defense. He's athletic. I mean, he is just awesome. And then speaking of awesome, I knew this guy was going to be good. But I didn't envision him to be this good. Chet Holmgren. He was giving Zubats a tough time. He got by him at the top of the key. Got an N1. And then this man straight up had a Tracy McGrady moment. Tracy McGrady. He pump faked. Got Zoo in the air. And threw it off the glass to himself. I was like, oh my god. What am I watching right now? I've never seen a guy that size do that. He's special, man, and defensively he does well too. And so that caused uh, Ty to be like, okay, I got to take Zoo out and we put Tyson. And, you know, it was okay. I don't think it made much of a difference at all. If anything, it got worse because we were down by three when Zubats came out and it kind of fell apart after that. But Terrence Mann was on SGA. PG was on J-Dub. As I said, PG was shooting tons of deep jumpers and had some weak contests. And then when Chet came out of the game, the Thunder went with a small lineup with, like, Kenrick Williams playing the backup five. They had uh, Jalen Williams only play in the fourth quarter. The Arkansas Jalen Williams play in the fourth quarter. But besides that, they just had Isaiah Joe, Aaron Wiggins, Kaysan Wallace, and uh, Kenrick Williams. So they went with a really small ball switch everything unit. And the Clippers, they were struggling with it, to be honest, because, man, SGA is a problem. Like, he really is a problem. But I thought that the the Clippers being sloppy offensively and just getting outworked, it felt like all the 50-50 balls were coming to the Thunder was hurting them. You know, that the Thunder just looked fresher. It looked like the Clippers were tired and were on a back-to-back. And I'm not giving them an excuse. They should have played harder. They should have played better. But they just were looked second best in every aspect. 16 turnovers, which resulted in 20 Thunder points. The Thunder had 12 turnovers. But those 20 Thunder points, they were tough. And then the Thunder had 58 points in the paint. 
Three-pointers, actually, the Clippers shot pretty well. 39.5% from three, 17 for 43. Thunder, they shot nine less, but they shot a better percentage. 16 for 34 from deep for 47%. And they shot 59% from the field. Clippers only shot 47% from the field. Clippers got six more field goal attempts. Thunder got six more free throw attempts. Clippers, though, continuing to shoot well from the free throw line. 10 for 12, 83%. We'll take that. Then the Thunder, they shot exceptionally well from the free throw line. 16 for 18 for 89%. So, third quarter, besides that, I thought Russ gave us some good energy. When Harden came out of the game, PG started making his threes from deep. But again, they were just deep three balls. He didn't get to the basket or anything. How many free throws did Paul George take in this game? Let's check. Three. Made all three of them, but it's not enough. SGA, man, he's tough, though. Turnarounds, mid-range, three ball, everything. And Lou Dort started hitting threes. We were clearly letting Lou Dort shoot. A couple times, Paul George, he didn't even put a hand up on Lou Dort. We went to a zone, and that wasn't working much better. They were getting a lot of offensive rebounds on that zone, and they were making their threes. Offensive rebounds, the Thunder actually only had six. Felt like more, though. Clippers had 12. Um, Four of them from Westbrook alone. But the third quarter was just a disaster overall for the Clippers defensively and just effort-wise. 45-33 to in favor of the Thunder. The pace was too fast for us. We couldn't keep up. And then very quickly in the fourth quarter, the white flag was waved. White flag was waved. Early in the quarter. I was pretty surprised at that from Ty Lue. He went with Bones, Brandon, Russ. Thankfully, we had Terrence Mann make a three for his confidence. But I got to address this right now. Terrence Mann. Oh, yeah, Josh Giddy, I heard, got off to a good start in the first half. But then he was injured and didn't play the rest of the game. So Terrence Mann, though, my favorite player. I got to be honest. The funk that he's in right now is really bad. And it's really hurting the team. He doesn't look confident at all catching the ball. He looks like he's going to miss every single shot. I feel like he's going to miss every single shot. He needs to be better. And what he needs to do is just keep on shooting. That's it. This is a guy, he's not the best shooter in the world, but this is a guy who has shot in the high 30s every single year of his career. Even 41% in 2021. It's not a huge sample size, but he's got to keep shooting. The indecisiveness, the second guessing of himself is only making him miss more. He needs to keep firing. Look, man, it's absolutely hurting us right now. There's no denying that. But I'm not going to be the one that gives up on T. If anything, if it gets so bad, we can put him on the bench and replace him with someone else in the starting lineup, whether it be Amir or Norm. Right now, Amir, I'd say, would be my leading candidate because he still guards, and we still want that point-of-attack guy. But at the same time, Terrence Mann, as a starter this season, is 14-4. and 14-3 and when Kawhi and Paul George and Harden and Zoo are out there alongside him. I will say this. Terrence Mann is a little bit fortunate we traded for James Harden right now because... The only reason, uh, one of the main reasons that I was 
so you know, confident that we'd still be good if Kawhi and Paul were healthy, even without getting James Harden, is because I was ready for a team man leap. And I don't mean like a big statistical leap, but I mean his role would increase and he was going to be the team man that we've always known. The one that's always positive. That's always, you know, sometimes he's indecisive with his shot, but for the most part, he's letting it fly. He's being aggressive. And when he's catching the ball in that short roll, he's going to the basket. That's not been the team man we've gotten this year. And it's, it's worrying me, but at the same time, this is Terrence, man. Like, we're forever indebted to this guy. I don't care what anyone says. I don't think people quite understand if they weren't a Clipper fan before this era. The stands just won't get it. How hard it seemed to get out of the second round. Like, it legitimately felt like we couldn't get past the second round no matter what we did, no matter who we had. Blowing 2-3-1 leads. Having the worst collapses you can possibly imagine. And that man had the biggest game of his life. The best game of his life in the biggest game of his life. And not only that, he was great in game five and he was awesome in game seven against Dallas. It's not like it was a one-off thing. He was great in that postseason. And he was awesome in the regular season. Every single year, he's always been a positive. So for people to go out and say, we need to trade Terrence Mann, and this and that, he needs to go. You know, it's just disgraceful in my opinion. Like he's he's one of our only homegrown players. Like you just want a team of transplants. Like not like that's not it for me. Like I love a homegrown player. Like they should get more leeway. They should get more leeway. We drafted him, and he had the biggest game in Clipper history. So I'm not gonna turn on him like that. Not after a full season, at least. I have confidence that his shot will come back. He just needs to see them fall, but he needs to keep shooting them. At the very worst. Replace it from the starting lineup if it gets bad. But I'm not going to panic over one loss and my favorite player, you know, throw him to the bench. I get it. I get it. I'm a little biased to Terrence Mann. That's obvious. Because I'm a Clipper fan. I'm not a Stan. And team fans, they're always going to be more loyal to guys that were homegrown. And in the playoffs doing that, the curse breaker, you don't understand how much I got made fun of at school growing up because of that second round thing. So, of course, I'm going to back Terrence Mann till the end. I don't care how many shots he misses. I'm always going to be backing him. Anyway, that was it, though. Pretty pathetic performance, but I got to give OKC credit, man. They're tough. They have five guys that can shoot the ball from the outside, five guys that can handle the ball, and they have no really weak defenders outside of Josh Giddy in that starting lineup. Josh Giddy would be their only guy that really can't shoot, but he's very cerebral. Like He can rebound. He's a good passer. He can get downhill. So, Thunder snapped the Clippers' nine-game winning streak. That's okay. Clippers are now 17-11, and 6-8 and eight on the road. Got two wins out of the three road games this week. And now the next game I will be at, Boston. That's going to be a great vlog. I think that's going to be, what, vlog number 12 on the channel this season? So, that'll be fun. A lot of Celtics fans will be in the building, though, unfortunately. Let's read the stat line for the Thunder. They went at 134 to 115. They're 10 and 4 at home, 18 and 8 overall. So they've played 26 games. Clippers have played 28 games. Kenrick Williams. He played 18 minutes. He had five points, two rebounds, three assists, and two steals, and no turnovers. So a little bit of everything for him. And he was two for two from the field, one for one from three in 18 minutes. Kaysen Wallace, two points, three assists, one block. And a turnover on 1-for-4 shooting and 0-for-2 from 3 in 20 minutes. Aaron Wiggins 
had eight points and seven rebounds to go along with an assist and a steal, and he was a plus 22. <laughs> three for six from the field, one for two from three. He can score. Then Isaiah Joe, talk about somebody that can shoot the ball. 11 points for him, six Thunder players in double figures, with him being the only bench player in double figures. He shot 50% from the field, four for eight, three for seven from three in 25 minutes. And then we have the starters for the Thunder. Josh Giddy only 14 minutes, but he had 11 points, three rebounds, and four assists. Bro, five turnovers in the first half? Oh, my God. That's crazy. Four for five from the field. Three for three from deep. That's not the norm. Let's see what Josh Giddy was shooting from three going into this game. Thirty-one percent. So yeah, like that. You're gonna play the law of averages there. Then let's talk about Jalen Williams. J Dub. Thought he was really good. Thirteen points, four rebounds, seven assists, and two steals on six for eleven shooting. One for three from deep. No free throw attempts for him though. But a really solid performance in twenty-nine minutes for J Dub, who's having a fantastic season. Then Lou Dort. Boo. Had a really good game though. 21 points, three rebounds, four assists. Did a really good job on Harden on some of those pick and rolls where Harden just could not get the step. Um, and those two threes were really demoralizing when PG and Russ like didn't even put a hand up. Eight for 12 from the field. I mean, after making two threes in a row, you got to put a fucking hand up. Come on. He shot 66% from the field, 50% from three, three for six. My God. Two for two from the line. And then there's SGA. He's just amazing. I miss him. Love him. Can't believe we drafted him. Would I make the trade again? Absolutely, every time. 31 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals and 2 blocks. Oh my God. 1 turnover. He only shot 44%, 11 for 25 from the field, 1 for 6 from 3. But he still finds a way to score because he's so crafty, getting to the line, 8 for 9 from the foul line. He's unguardable. He's reached unguardable status. 31 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals and 2 blocks in 32 minutes. That's big time. And his team shot insanely well from the field. 59, 47, 89 splits from the Thunder. Let's talk about us. Kobe Brown played 10 minutes. The final 10 minutes, he had two points on one of three shooting and 0 for 2 from three. Busy Bones played the final 10 minutes. He had six points on two of four shooting and one of one from three. Brandon Boston actually got some first quarter run, but he was one for five. I heard he wasn't great. Um, Bones, I'm sorry, Boston was three for 10. From the field, one for five from three. And I heard he was getting bullied a bit defensively, so that's unfortunate. I still don't think Brandon is ready to get into a championship rotations lineup. At least not with a, with Harden on it. If we didn't have Harden, you could maybe test it out because we needed some more youth and athleticism, and that was a, a route that the team was going to go before we got Harden. But now that we have Harden, I just there's no place for him. And I love Brandon, though. I'm always okay with him getting reps, but I just don't expect him to be great. Um, seven points for him on three for 10 shooting and one for five from three. And then the three bench players that really got burned. Daniel Tice, four points, one rebound, one block, two turnovers on two for two shooting in 15 minutes. He was a minus 14. I didn't really notice much from Tice. I thought it was one of his more, um, you know, what's the word? Quiet games as a clipper, really. Norman Powell thought he was good in the first half. He was part of the reason that we were still in it from what I was hearing. 16 points, 4 rebounds, and an assist, and a block on 6 for 11 shooting and 4 for 8 from 3. So one good thing, Norman Powell continues to be really efficient. In 23 minutes, you love to see that, hopefully improving his 6th man of the year campaign. Austin Reeves and Nas Reed absolutely 
talked about them earlier. They're, they're in that conversation as well. Russell Westbrook. Thought he was probably our best player tonight, arguably. 15 points, 13 rebounds. Four of those offensive rebounds. Four assists, but five turnovers. Too many turnovers for Russ. Too many. Seven for 12 on the field, though. He continues to be very efficient lately. I love that. Absolutely love that. 0 for 2 from 3 in 30 minutes. So he was 7 for 10 from 2. Love the effort from Russ. He's been playing really good basketball lately. Then the starters. Zubats only played 17 minutes. His worst game in a long time. He's had like 15 straight good games, to be honest. Six points, three rebounds, three assists, three for four shooting in 17 minutes. He really struggled with Chet. That pick and pop is tough. It's tough to guard Chet one-on-one. He struggled. Terrence Mann majorly struggled. He was a minus 31. So usually Terrence Mann is really good in the plus-minus category. That reflects how poorly he's playing right now. 25% from the field and three. Five points, one rebound, one assist. The only good stat there is three steals and a block. But two for eight from the field and one for four from three. Terrence, bro, I got your back till the end. I don't give a fuck how many shots you miss. I'm here. I want you to retire as a Clipper. I got faith in you, but we need it soon, bro. Paul George. Actually, let's go with the Brewmaster. Amir Coffey. His stat line looks good, but I didn't watch the first half, and I don't remember him playing too much in the second half. Nine points, four rebounds, and an assist on four for seven shooting and one for four from three. He and Terrence Mann shot a combined two for eight from three, and that absolutely hurt Harden and Paul George in this game. And then we have James Harden. 23 points, nine rebounds, six assists. So, of course, our leading assist guy. Three steals and a block. So, active hands by Harden. But I thought his defense in the second half wasn't very good. Three turnovers from him. Um, Seven for 18 from the field. He shot the most shots of anybody on the team, which I don't like. Nine of those shots were threes. And he actually shot well from three. He was four for nine from three and three for nine from two. Again, with Harden, he doesn't have a pull-up on a dime uh, inside the arc. He has a pull-up on a dime in transition from the top of the key, but when guys are chasing him from behind on screens or just in, in isolation, he has no pull-up on a dime. He has to come to a full stop, which a lot of NBA players have to do. It's not just James Harden, but I'm just saying that's one of the reasons I also am not a huge fan of his game. Anyway, any last? Oh, Paul George. 22 points, four rebounds, and four assists to go along with a steal and a block. Just one turnover. You need more shots than 14 if you're shooting 50%. 7 for 14 from the field and 5 for 8 from 3. Do you guys think Ty Lue waved the white flag too early? There was 10 minutes left in the game. I know we were down by 20, but it's the modern NBA. It was like they kind of just were like, all right, we're we're not going to trip. We're going to play against Boston on Saturday, and we don't want anything else to happen. They led by as many as 20. We led by as many as 1. So the Thunder had our number all game. But Paul George needs to be more aggressive when... He's shooting 50%. And James Harden should recognize that. I saw that when James Harden was pounding the ball a lot and doing his three-ball thing and in the third quarter, he was looking to get Paul George the ball after a certain amount because he was like, okay, I got to get him the ball. But he should be our focal point. He should be getting the ball in the mid-post, in the mid-range. And that's not just on Harden as the point guard. That's on Ty Lue as the coach and on Paul George himself. I know it's more stagnant than the pick-and-roll with Harden, but he is our number one guy without Kawhi for me. But anyway, I'm not tripping on the loss at all. Without Kawhi Leonard, I'm tired of like acting like these games without Kawhi Leonard mean anything anymore. We've had to deal with the no Kawhi Leonard Clippers for a couple of years now, and it doesn't tell us anything because this team is only going to go as far as Kawhi Leonard takes them. That's it. It's always been that way, and nothing changes now. 
We need Kawhi Leonard. It doesn't tell us anything about this team without him. And here's the thing. We got James Harden for this very reason. Games without 2-1-3. Well, we've won two games without Paul George. And we've lost our only game without Kawhi. So 2-1 without 2-1-3. I'll take it. Anyway, that's it for me tonight, guys. Now to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. I want to give everybody an apology for not watching that first half. I'm going to try to do some research before I do Locked On Clippers for tomorrow. But thank you and have a good night. When am I, when am I going to be live next? So no Friday live. Saturday, Clippers are playing Celtics. I'll be at the game, so no episode then. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But I've been live so much this week. I'm chilling. Peace out. Have a good night. Oh, and one more thing. It's not all bad for LA tonight. Dodger fans, stand up. Yamamoto to the Dodgers. Now, I don't even know much about Yamamoto, but I'll tell you this. We needed starting pitching, and Andrew Friedman and the boys, they absolutely knocked this one out of the park. Shohei Otani, Glasnow, and now Yamamoto. Hopefully getting Walker Bueller back next year. We're going to be cooking with gas. Everyone goes to the Dodgers. It's so great. Everybody must hate us right now. Everybody must hate us. We're like the Yankees of the modern day. But there's one thing we're missing that the Yankees always got. Titles. We need to capitalize, man. It's going to be even more embarrassing now. Ten times more embarrassing if we lose. Now that we have Mookie and Freddie. And we have this starting pitching. Walker Bueller. Bobby Miller. Tyler Glasnow. Shohei, even though he's not going to pitch this year. Probably not. And now Yamamoto. Go Dodgers. Peace out. Have a great night, everyone.